Well, we are this week, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 6. We're, gonna just, we're, really, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning, uh, and we'll read that in a second. But, but this week and next week, um, our plan is to look at the, the subject of deacons. So the, the office, the church office of deacons, we're going to spend this week and next week looking at the office of deacon. And so as a church, we believe that there are two New Testament offices. There's the office of elder, and then there's the office of deacon. And both offices are important. In fact, both offices are necessary for a church to, to function according to its God-given purpose. Therefore, this week... And next week, we want to, to look at, from the scriptures, the office of deacon, specifically what it is. And so the two questions, one's this week, one's next week, the two questions are going to be, what do deacons do? That's the first question. That's this week. And the next week, who must deacons be? So, so what do they do and who are they? So, so function and character. So those are the two questions. What's the function of deacons? What's the character of deacons? Um, so that'll be the plan um, as we wor- work through this topic these next two, um, two Sundays. Now, just the outset, to, to get us off on the same foot, I think there's one biblically sound, one-word answer to both of those questions. I think the one word, there is one word that accurate, accurately describes both what deacons do and who deacons are. And it's one word, although it's, it's in a, a noun form and a verb form, right? So, so there's a little bit different. But I think the one word is servant, Deacons are servants. And so in your mind, as you, as you think about the office of deacon, the, the, the thought of the office should immediately be followed by the idea of a servant. Deacons are servants of the church, and deacons serve the church. That's what they do, and that's who they are. They serve, and they are servants. Now, there's, we're going to say more than that, right? Those would be two really short sermons, if that's all it was. Um, but at the most basic level, deacons are servants, or as one author has described them, they are dust movers. That's, that's what the deacons do. So as we, as we go through, last request before we'll, we'll read the passage, but as we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to try and do something. Some of you, it won't be hard to do. Some of you, it'll be much harder than for others. But we've all gathered here this morning and as we're sitting here, we all have some assumptions about the office of deacon. A lot of you have memories, personal experiences with the office of deacon and with specific deacons. Some of you may have only a vague idea about what deacons is. Some of you may have never heard of the word before. Right? So we all come with our different expectations and experiences. But I want to ask you to try and do for me the next couple of weeks what I'm going to ask you to try and do is to labor to think hard about what I'm going to say, to consider the way that we're going to answer these two questions, and see, consider if it does justice to the biblical witness. That's what I want you to do. Listen and study. We, we've actually we've provided several books, different resources. You can read those, but, but ultimately we want to ask, is this what the Bible teaches? So I want, to, I want you to consider these answers in light of what the New Testament says. Because that is our aim. We want to organize ourselves as a church according to God's design. Therefore, your criteria, your primary criteria, my primary criteria for evaluating what I'm going to say about deacons isn't our past or our assumptions or expectations. Our criteria is to be Scripture. So I'm going to ask you to, to think hard with me about the important office of deacon. 
So, as, as we begin, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, then I'll pray for us, and then we will, we will look at the, the, top, the function of deacons. So, Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, this is what Luke writes in the book of Acts. It says, Now in, those day, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists, or the the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews, that's the the Jewish, the Hebrew-speaking Jews, because their, the Hellenist widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's a food of provision. And the twelve, that's the apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we apostles should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These men they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray, and then let's look at the, the issue at hand. Now, Father, we, we thank you for your word, and we confess that, that we don't think rightly, as rightly, as highly as we ought about your word. And so we confess that here, and we ask that your word would speak to us, that it would judge us, that it would rebuke us and correct us, that your word would be the standard by which we operate and function And so give us clarity of thought, give us unity of mind, help us to think rightly about this institution, the church that you love so much that you sent your son for. Help us to think rightly and order ourselves accordingly in light of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, there's three points here. We've got, so the first two points are directly from this passage and then the third point is going to be kind of a, a takeaway and, and, and trying to apply this. So, so first we'll see the issue, the issue there in Jerusalem, verses 1 and 2. And then second point, we'll see the solution, which is laid out in verses 3 through 7. That's the, that's the second point. And then third, what we'll see is the function of the deacon. So I think we have the outline up there. But we have the issue, then the solution, and then the function of the deacons will be how we end. So let's start there, verses 1 through 2 of chapter 6, the issue. So we're coming to Acts chapter 6, and before we, we dive in, I, I just want to make sure that we, that we establish a few things. First, the book of Acts is, is the initial stage, the infancy stage of the New Testament church. So if you remember Jesus, he's, he's been crucified, buried, raised, he, he uh, was with people for 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven, and then... After he ascends back into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. We have the, the, the sermon of Peter at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and then opposition from the Jewish religious leaders continues. But most importantly, as we read in the passage, the, the, the church grows. It rapidly expands. 
And so that's what's happened in verses or in chapters one through five of Acts. Uh, I mean, broadly, that's what happened. And that forms the backdrop of, of our passage, but it also means that in terms of the established church, the, the organized local church or the organized local expression of the body of Christ, whether Philippi or Corinth or Galatia, that's still in the future. Okay, so, so we're at the beginning, the infancy stages. So, so there isn't the church at Philippi yet. And it's important for our purposes because the office of deacon is not at work in the passage. Right? The, the, the word deacon is not used here in, in terms of the office. So, so these people aren't deacons in the official term. We just need to recognize that. The same reason that the term elder is not here, because the local church isn't here. So the, the, the offices have not been established because the local church has not been established. That's going to take time. It's a unique time in the history of the church, the life of Christianity and the gospel spreading. And so the, the seven men aren't deacons. They're the seven who are chosen to serve. And the apostles aren't elders. They're apostles. So, so the ministry model, it's not identical. We can't press it too hard. Nevertheless, the issue here in Acts chapter 6 is an issue that, that sets the stage for, I, I would say, a certain model of ministry. Though it doesn't involve technically elders and deacons, it's a pattern for ministry that I'm fully convinced, and I'm not alone, there, there are many others, Convinced that this serves as a paradigm for the ministry of elders and deacons that would then come. So, so I think what we see here is the, the proto-deacon ministry. So I think Acts 6 sets a pattern or paradigm that seems to have been continued in the early church. So that when the church is founded, they think, oh yeah, the deacons, remember what happened in Acts 6. That's how going to influence how the deacons function. Okay, so hopefully you're on the same page there. The dynamic at work in Acts 6, the ministry of the seven, is a prototype or a precursor to the ministry of the office of deacon. So, so let's look there, verses 1 and 2, and see what the issue was. So verse 1 says, in these days, notice what's happening, the disciples were increasing in number. So Pentecost had happened, to number, thousands had been added to the number, and it continues to grow. The, the church is expanding. But as that's happening, with growth came troubles. Right? Because a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so the issue occurs because of rapid growth. The disciples were increasing, and with the growth came an issue. And the, the, the Hellenist complained because the Hebrew widows were being, were being treated or favored over the Hellenist widows. So, so at this point in the early church, a primary function of the church, especially at that time, was care for the widows. So when a woman was widowed, she didn't have a retirement from her husband. She didn't have Medicare. She didn't have anything else to fall back on. So she went to the church. And so the church provided for the, the, the provisions for the widows because there was no one else caring for them. And so in this situation, there are Greek-speaking Jewish widows and there are Hebrew-speaking Jewish widows. They're all Jewish, but they have different languages. Probably have from, from they, they'd come into town for, the, for Pentecost, and, and they're, they're there. They're, they're from all over the, the, the world at that time. And the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, which simply means this group was being, being made sure that their, their food, their, they were provided for while this group was being neglected. Right? And, and we have to be clear, the distinguishing mark of these two was ethnicity. Right? The language they spoke, that, that their background was part of what was at play here. And so the apostles, they hear this complaint, verse 2, the 12, that is the 12 apostles, they summon the full number of the disciples. So, so they call everyone there in Jerusalem at that time. All the believers, all the members of this church come together. 
And notice what they say. It's not right that we, talking about the apostles, should give up preaching the word of God in order to serve tables. Right? So, so they want everyone to know about the issue. And so they raise the, this issue. And in raising this issue, they want everyone else to know there's another potential issue at work here. Because the apostles, they're aware of the real issue, and it's a serious issue. One group of widows are being neglected, but the issue, potential issue, is that the apostles are going to be asked to, to address the issue. He said, and they say, it is not right for us to give up preaching the word of God in order to serve tables. So that's the second issue that they're like, this can't happen. Here's an issue, it has to be addressed, but we cannot address it. So that's what they're communicating. They don't view this, this, this neglect of widows as, as an unimportant issue or a, a below them. They simply recognize that the issue falls outside of their God-given responsibility. They're the apostles who are responsible for the proclamation of the gospel and the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so they say it's not right that we should give up what God's called us to, to serve tables. It's not because the tables shouldn't be served, but because they already had God-given responsibility that they had been commissioned to. And so the issue here is widows are being neglected and the apostles are not the ones to fix the problem. There must be others. And the others must be appointed to address the problem so that the ministry of the church can continue. And so that's the issue. It's a real issue. But notice the solution that they put forward in verses 3 through 7. So they call everybody together and say, we can't do this. We can't meet this issue. Therefore, verse 3, brothers, or brothers and sisters, disciples who are gathered here, therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. What's this duty? The feeding of the widows, the making sure that the, the, the widows are evenly and, and equally uh, have their provisions. And so, I mean, as a convinced Baptist, this is a congregational vote. This is a members meeting. Hey, everybody, come on, and you pick people. You pick these, these men, and here's qualifications, but you pick them for this duty. And I'll say more about this later, but they're going to be set aside for meeting this issue, and a qualification for addressing this task was not, hey, make sure you pick people who can, who can speak both languages or make sure you pick people who can, can really effectively prepare food or, or make sure that, that you pick someone who has a big garden that can just add to the, to, the, to the quantity of food. There's nothing practical in the qualifications. Instead, the people to put forward are of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. Not a word about practical giftings. Now again, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's going to be next week, the qualifications. But, but they say, put forward seven men. And here's, here's the types of men you're to put forward. Verse 4, put them forward. We'll appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Right? So put forward these men. They'll meet the issue. We're going to continue in doing what God's called us to. So that is the, the solution Appoint these seven men who would serve the tables and the apostles would continue. And so by appointing these men to help with the daily distribution of food, the apostles took this need seriously. Right? It has to be addressed. 
It's not like, no, no, you guys just deal with that on your own. No, this is a serious need. It must be addressed, but the, the apostles did not get distracted from their primary calling. I mean, imagine if the 12 apostles then say, okay, this is such an important need, we have to address it. Well, then the proclamation of the word does not continue. And the gospel does not spread as God had ordained in the book of Acts. And so verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's a dream of a pastor. Here, here's what we're going to do. Every single person is like, wonderful, we're on, we're on board, pastor. Right? But what they said, these are apostles, right? They, they have higher authority and, and more wisdom, I think, than pastors. But what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose these seven men. Now, now of course, Stephen and, and Philip are going to come up later in the book of Acts. So this is where they're introduced. But they choose seven men and put them before the apostles. Verse 6, and the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. They're, they're ordaining them. They're setting apart them apart for this specific task. And so the apostles, aware of the need, initiate the plan, put qualified people into position to meet that need, to deal with the need that if left unaddressed could be disastrous for the church. And then the congregation recognized these seven and these were the seven that were ordained and set apart to meet that specific need. Now, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. They've had the issue. They've proposed the solution. They, they've, they've gone through with this plan. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. So the word of God continued to increase. Do you remember back in verse 1, we learned that because of this growth, there's a crisis. There's a crisis. There, there's an issue in the church. That's how this whole passage started, verse 1. And we get to verse 7, the crisis has been addressed and the word of God continues going forward. And, and the, the mission of God, the purpose of God is continued to be carried out because the crisis was addressed and individuals were, were raised up to meet the needs of the moment. Which tells us, as we move to the next point, that what's at stake in this issue with this crisis and whether it's addressed or not, what's at stake in the, the progress, what, what is at stake is the progress of the Word of God. Which is to say... In Acts chapter 6, serving tables was not a matter of secondary importance. It was a matter of primary importance because the spread of the gospel was at stake. And so it was a different function than the apostles, but it was equally important to the spread of the gospel that this practical need was met. And one author points out, in light of this, how churches react to conflict can make all the difference in whether the gospel witness is obstructed or accelerated. How churches react in conflict can make all the difference in whether the gospel witness is obstructed or it's accelerated. Acts 6 is a story of church conflict handled well, and it has everything to do with the function of deacons. So, this leads to the final point. The function of deacons. What do deacons do? What do they do? So having seen the issue in Acts 6 and then the solution put forward, I think we were able to, to recognize and move forward with a pattern or a paradigm that's established there that serves as the foundation for the ministry of deacons. So 
the word deacon, when we go to the New Testament and see, well, what do deacons do? I went to Acts 6 where it wasn't clear, where there wasn't a clear mention of deacon because the New Testament evidence for the word deacon, the office of deacon, is really sparse. It's really sparse. In fact, the Greek word used for deacon literally means servant. So, so a servant or one who serves. And so because of that, it's, it's really difficult to establish the, the, the cut and dry function of deacons in the New Testament. I mean, think about this. The office of elder, there are multiple terms that are used to refer to that one office. Elder, overseer, bishop, all these are used interchangeably, and there's multiple contexts where that's clearly being referred to. In context, the elder or the pastor, the overseer, is clearly identified as the one in this first office. In the case of deacon, the second office, the word used for deacon is used multiple times, but there's only two times where the word is used for the office. Every other time that this word is used, it's simply referring to someone who's a servant or a minister. I mean, think about how many times the Apostle Paul would say, I'm a servant of Christ. I mean, this, this, this word, the, the, the root word, the word used for deacon is used 60, or 36 times in the New Testament and reflects the common meaning of, of waiting on a table or caring for someone's basic needs, serving And so, for instance, listen to this. John chapter 12, this is what Jesus says. Listen for the word that you think is deacon. It's translated differently in this translation, but it's the same word. Jesus says, whoever loses his life, no, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so that, that verse literally reads, if anyone deacons me, it could be translated, if anyone deacons me, let him follow me because where I am there my deacon will be. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. Right? Or later, Matthew chapter 23, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Literally says, could be translated, the greatest among you shall be your Deacon. So so this is how that word functions in the New Testament. The word for deacon occurs a lot. Paul calls himself a deacon. Paul calls all Christians to be deacons. Paul calls Timothy a deacon. But in all those cases, it's not referring to the office of deacon. There's two places where the word deacon is used for office. That's Philippians 1.1, where Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Philippians 1.1, that's clearly an office. Overseers and deacons, two offices there. The only other place is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, where Paul lays out the qualifications for the office. And it's, it's, it's character stuff. So there's the only two places where deacon is used as a clear reference to the second office, which, in light of that, you understand the difficulty of establishing the function of deacons, because there are only two places where it's clearly referring to it, and those passages don't talk about the function. The most verses given to it is the qualifications. And so we'll look at that next week. But this week, recognizing the lack of clear passages on the function of deacons in the New Testament, we, get, we go back to where we started in Acts chapter 6, because there... We see seven men functioning and serving in a deacon-like manner. And so from Acts chapter 6, I I want to point you to three functions of deacons, three areas of the church life that deacons serve. And so here's the three functions of deacons, and they're all connected. 
Number one, meeting practical needs. Meeting practical needs. First function of deacons. Office of elder. The elders are responsible for shepherding, teaching, protecting, leading. The deacons are responsible for serving. Right? And, and, and this service looks like meeting practical needs. And I think the practical needs, I think in Jerusalem, the practical need was the feeding of the widows. I don't think that's the practical need that every church has. And so I think there's, there's, there's ambiguity because every church is going to have particular widow-like crisis-inducing issues that needs that need to be met. And the deacons meet those needs whatever they are. And so the deacons serve the body by meeting practical needs. The widows were being neglected and the seven were set apart to make sure they got their food. Historically, if you, if you read about deacons throughout history, traditionally they've been responsible for the, the, the money, for collecting offering, for benevolence. They, they've been responsible for, for the, 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 the mercy ministries, for caring for the widows or the poor. This is traditionally how deacons have been used. They've met practical needs. And the deacons must meet these practical needs because these needs are important that must be met. And their importance is seen in the fact that when a church doesn't have deacons, the elders, the pastors, are constantly distracted from their main mission because these are needs that must be met. And so the pastor is going to meet them if they're not being met by deacons, but deacons meet them so the pastors can, elders can, give themselves to the ministry they've been given. If these practical needs weren't essential to the life of the church, it wouldn't matter if there are deacons there to meet them or not. But because the practical needs are essential for the life of the church, these needs must be met, deacons are appointed to meet them. One author says, a church without biblically functioning deacons will, perpet- will be perpetually distracted from its central mission. And so the seven in Acts 6 were set apart for addressing a practical need. Now, we'll say more about this next week, but meeting practical needs is not the only function of a deacon, which also means the ability to meet practical needs does not automatically qualify someone to serve in this capacity. That's important. There's a great danger for putting someone in a position of leadership simply because they can do it and do it well. That's dangerous if that's done without recognizing the character qualifications that must accompany the practical gifting. For instance, some of you will know who I'm talking about. Some of you have no idea. But for instance, if Bob Vila joined our church, guys, some of you know who I'm talking about. If he joined our church, he would not automatically become the deacon of building and grounds. I don't know Bob Vila. I don't know his character. I don't, I, don't, I don't know who he is. Or if Rachel Ray joined our church, she would not automatically, because she's a world-famous chef, she would not automatically become the deacon of hospitality because practical skills are not all there is. There are character issues required, and often someone who can meet practical needs can do so with errant character. And so that's why character is the focus of deacons, which is why we're saving it for next week. So meeting practical needs is, is one of the functions. It's an important function, but not the only function. Second, deacons exist, function to protect unity. Protect unity. We're talking about unity of the church. So think about the issue in Acts chapter 6. The church was at a crisis point that division could have resulted from this issue. If this issue is not addressed there would be two factions. It would be the Hellenist church and then there would be the Jewish church. 
Because there, there's an issue of favoritism. Whether it was intentional or not, one group of widows was being favored over another, and they were all part of the same church. And so the unity of the church was at stake, which is why the apostles asked for the congregation to set apart servants specifically to address this issue. Yes, it's a practical need issue, but there's an underlying church unity issue. If it's not addressed, there's going to be disaster. And this is why the function of protecting unity means that deacons must, in their core, in their nature, be peacemakers. In their service of the church, they can't be contentious. They can't be divisive. They can't be gossips. Because of their function, they must promote and protect unity. Deacons must be marked by palpable humility, a spirit of gentleness, a willingness to be flexible because the the concern is the, the, the the progress of the church, not what I'm doing, my area of expertise or my territory. That's divisive, and that cannot be. The unity of the church must be protected by the deacons. And I think for our church, this is particularly true when the roles of deacons are task-specific. Because think about it, when you have a task-specific deacon, whether it's building and grounds, whether it's hospitality, whether it's nursery, when a deacon is assigned a specific ministry, a specific need that he or she is set apart to meet, it's very easy for that person to become territorial and combative and disruptive to say, how dare you step on my territory? In which case, when when that happens, instead of protecting and promoting unity of the church, that deacon quickly becomes a source of division and constant conflict. One pastor explains, listen to this, this is is insightful. This is a pastor who's been pastoring for, for decades He says, quote, you don't want people serving as deacons who are unhappy with your church. The deacons should never be the ones who complain the loudest or jar the church with their actions and attitudes. Quite the opposite. Instead, when you're considering who might serve as deacons, look for people with gifts of encouragement. Now, all Christians are called to pursue and maintain peace within the church, but deacons are set apart, and deacons should be leaders in that endeavor. And so deacons meet practical needs first, deacons protect church unity second, and then finally, deacons support the ministry of the elders. So this is, I think, from Acts chapter 6, the clearest function to be drawn. The ministry of the apostles, while they're not pastors, right? I'm not saying pastors and apostles are synonymous. But the principle there, the ministry of the apostles was that of the word and prayer. And they said, we can't serve tables because we've got to do this. And so the seven were chosen to serve to meet that need in order for the apostles to continue their God-given calling. And so the final function of deacons is to support the ministry of the elders so that the elders can continue. So they support the ministry of the elders by meeting the practical needs of the church, by promoting unity so that the elders can continue with their God-given calling. The ministry of the elders should proceed unhindered by the practical needs of the body. And by unhindered, what I mean is that the ministry of the elders should not be obstructed by the pressing practical needs of the church. The elders have a clear calling. Elders are called to teach and shepherd and lead the ministry of the church. And when the 
that, that calling is hindered because of practical needs of the body, right, that there is the, the void that the deacons are called to fill. A silly example, if I'm coming up to preach one Sunday and someone says the women's restroom is overflowing, if I say, everybody wait here, we'll start in 10 minutes, I've got to go unclog the toilet, right? That would be an obstruction of what the, the pastors are called to do. That's silly. That hasn't happened. I'm not saying that, but, but that would be an instance of the hindered ministry of the elders. So the purpose of deacons is inseparably tied to the priority of the elders, and both are essential for the church to continue. And so as I thought about the function of deacons, I think a helpful way to understand how, how I'm, I'm thinking about deacons, how I think the Bible describes them, is to th- think about, if you've been here a while, think about some of the previous committees that functioned in this church. Several of those standing committees were specifically aimed at serving the practical needs of the church. Whether it was the, the hostess committee or the nursery committee or the stewardship committee, there's an ordinance committee, a building and grounds committee, and there were more, but these were committees because they were organized and, and put into, they, 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 were, they were initiated because these are needs that needed to be met for the church to function. And they function to meet the needs that deacons are called to fill. And they, these were filled in that case, in those situations, not by the senior pastor, but by individuals that the church recognized as gifted and called to serve in those specific ways. And so all that, all that we're saying, all that I'm saying, is that instead of having an extra biblical category like a committee, we're aiming to set apart individuals as deacons to fill that task, to fill that role and meet those practical needs. And so what do deacons do? Deacons meet practical needs, they protect the unity of the church, and they support the ministry of the elders by, by meeting those needs and freeing up the elders to give themselves to the work that they've been called to. And so deacons, this is the function, and deacons are gifts to the church, and deacons are given to bless the church. And so our hope, my prayer in, in this week and next as we focus on this, is that we as Fox Hill Road Baptist Church would discern God's will for who he would have served this body in this specific way. And so be in prayer for this body. Be considering who might serve this body in the office of deacon. Maybe it's you. But as we think through this, I, I want you to be contemplating, rolling over your head, well, could this person do this? Is God, has God gifted this person for this? Because at the end of next week, we're going to say, okay, one more time, church, let's, let's, let's submit recommendations or, or, or nominate people or give us names of, of individuals you see qualified to serve in this office and then the elders will, will train and equip and then bring them back for the church to affirm and vote. And so we, we want to pray for all of this as a church because we want to honor the Lord and we want his will to be done. We just need to discern it. I'm going to pray for us as we close.